0: Let's now prepare our hearts for God's Word. Now in this day and age, love is fluid. For many, love is fluid. Love is subjective. Love is whatever you want it to be. And that's why we hear campaigns and and slogans like, Love Wins or love has no labels, or love is love. If love can mean whatever you want it to be, then love becomes meaningless. Would you agree? If love can mean anything, then it loses its meaning. It loses its significance. Real love is not subjective. Real love is not shallow. Real love is not short-lived. We need a definition of love that is objective, weighty, and eternal. We need God's definition of love because God is love. We don't need a fluid and flimsy definition of love that offers no salvation salvation nor foundation in our life. We need a solid and strong love. We need God's love. And we, we don't go around and ask people what they think about God's love. We go straight to the source. We go straight to God's Word. We go straight to God and ask Him, what is love? So please turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 136. This is a psalm of praise. And in this psalm, you will read a familiar refrain, For His steadfast love endures forever. Every verse in this psalm ends with, For His steadfast love endures forever. So this might be a psalm that was sung responsively with a leading priest, He would be reading the first line, and the Levitical choir or the whole congregation would respond with, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, let's do something similar. I'm going to read the first part of the verse, and you're going to read the second part. And just remember, this is God's Word. This is God's holy Word. So read it with passion and conviction. So please do stand in honor of God's Word. So again, I'm going to read the first part, and you're going to read the second part with passion and conviction. Psalm 136, "'Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Shihon, king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh Give thanks to the God of heaven for His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful psalm we have this morning. A psalm of praise to You because You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of thanksgiving. And we give thanks for who You are and what You have done. And what you are continually doing, we praise you, for you alone, our God. And we pray indeed, Lord God, that we would understand this psalm, and we would understand your steadfast love. And after understanding your steadfast love, we would be filled with praise and thanksgiving for the rest of our lives and even beyond Into eternity, may we be eternally grateful for all that you are, all that you've done, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your seats. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Now, after reading this psalm, the message is plain. Thank God for His steadfast love. Thank God for His steadfast love. Steadfast love appears in every verse, and so it appears 26 times in this psalm, and it is a key word, the key word of this psalm. Steadfast love comes from the Hebrew word hesed. Why don't you say hesed? Now, I want to introduce this word to you, and my goal is not just to introduce a new word to you, My goal is to help you understand what hesed is and what the significance of hesed is so that when we know what hesed is and its significance, our hearts would just burst out in praise to God. Psalm 136 is a classic text for understanding the significance of hesed. So what does hesed mean? Hesed is a rich word, and English translators are having a hard time to translate hesed into one English word. It's kind of like our basta. What is the English translation of basta? Well, it's basta. It's hard to English basta. Is it just because? Is it whatever? Is it it is what it is? Is it who cares, why bother? It's something like that. Basta. Hesed is kind of like that as well. It's a rich word. It does not mean a lot of things. It just is a rich word that you need a lot of words to explain it. Hesed is a covenant term wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God. Hesed summarizes or wraps up altogether the idea of covenant loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy, love, and compassion. That's how rich and that's how beautiful this word is. So what is hesed? It's like loyal love. It's like covenant faithfulness. It's like loving kindness, or as the ESV translates, steadfast love. That one word summarizes all the positive attributes of God. Thank God for His hesed love. Amen? Amen. Why don't you tell your seatmate, thank God for His said love. Now, let's go back to verses 1 to 3, and here we would see God's said love displayed universally. And again, I'll be reading the first part, and you're going to read the second part. And as you read the second part, I want you to preach The truth of Scripture to your own heart. So verse 1, here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Three times we're given this command to give thanks. And the psalmist address God as the Lord. And it is in all capital letters. And this is YHWH in Hebrew. Yahweh. It's the name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.15. And it's the name that reflects God's self-existence, self-sufficiency, independence, eternality, and unchanging character. What a beautiful name indeed is Yahweh, And why should we give thanks to Yahweh? The psalmist, psalmist says, For He is good, and for His steadfast love endures forever. Knowing that Yahweh is good is enough for us to thank God. Knowing that His steadfast love endures forever, His, his said love endures forever is enough. For us to praise our God. God's has said, God's covenant loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy, love, and compassion should move our hearts to praise Him. And the psalmist addresses God now in verses 2 to 3 as the God of gods and the Lord of lords. What's the point of the psalmist here? The psalmist is painting a picture of God's goodness. And he's also painting a picture of God's supremacy. God is good and God is supreme. And if in case you miss the supremacy of God, the psalmist makes sure at the end of his psalm, you would not forget that God is supreme. In verse 26, it says, "...give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever." He repeats once again that God is supreme in all things. The universal supremacy of God. And He's called the God of heaven, which is El Hash Shamayim in Hebrew. And this exact title for God occurs only here in this psalm, in the entire Old Testament. Together with the earlier titles, it paints us a picture that God is the supreme deity. That God alone is God. God is the great I Am. He is above anything and anyone in the entire universe. He is the God of so-called gods. He's the Lord of so-called lords. No one is above our God. He's the only one and true living God. He's the God of heaven. He is the supreme deity. And He alone is worthy of praise and thanksgiving. Now, his said is performed by a more powerful being for the benefit of the weaker person. And so, his said here clearly illustrates and appropriately illustrates God's dealing with us, God's dealing with his people. Who is more powerful than God? Who is more supreme than God? There is none. And who needs God's goodness and God's love and God's help more than you and me? And his said is also a voluntary act. extraordinary mercy or generosity a going beyond the call of duty and God showered his, his said to his people not because they deserve it God showered his His said love not because God's people are righteous enough that they are good enough that they have done all these good things and they are a righteous and good people it's actually the opposite God's people are not righteous in and of themselves, but it's all about God's goodness and God's love. God simply gave his his said just because of his extraordinary loyalty, faithfulness, and kindness, goodness, mercy, love, and compassion. And this his said love of God that is so wonderful and given to those who are undeserving his his said love is not temporary his said love does not only last for a moment it does not last even for a billion years his steadfast love his his said endures forever and let me give you a little insight On this command, give thanks. Give thanks basically means to confess or to acknowledge. And therefore, as Derek Kidner says, the command calls us to thoughtful, grateful worship, spelling out what we know and or have found of God's glory and His deeds. Is our worship of God thoughtful? Do you give a lot of thought into who you are worshiping? Or do you just say, I don't want to think, I just want to worship? Now, what kind of worship is that? I don't want to think, I just want to sing songs. Well, that is a thoughtless worship. And if it is a thoughtless worship, then it is just emotionalism. And emotionalism In emotionalism, you're just after an experience. You're just after an emotional high. You're not really after God. You're just after the experience that you can get. And that is not true worship. Does your worship reflect what you know about God? In fact, let me ask you, do you know God? maybe the reason why you're not thanking God, maybe the reason why you're not praising Him, maybe the reason why you're bored in praising and singing songs to God, it's because you don't know Him personally. How can we remain lifeless? How can we remain dry if we know about God and know about His steadfast love and know about His supremacy? Maybe you do do not know God personally. Do you know about His glory? Do you know about His deeds? Does your worship reflect what you have found of God's glory and His deeds? And I like how Kidner did not just say that our worship should be thoughtful, and then he just stopped right there. Because if we would just have thoughtful worship and not being grateful, then our hearts are far from God while our lips are praising Him, it's hypocritical worship. It is worshiping in vain. You might be singing or praising God and doing it that is doctrinally sound, but it is lifeless. It is dull. It is dry. Are you grateful? You're not giving God what He deserves if you're not engaged in thoughtful and grateful worship, so give thanks, confess, acknowledge. praise God in spirit and in truth. So far we've seen God's his said love displayed universally. But are there specific events that we can pinpoint that show that God, God's love is great, even in history? Has God displayed His His said love in history? In verses 4 to 22, that is what we will see. His said love displayed historically in creation, in Israel's deliverance from Egypt, and also in Israel's conquest of the promised land. Again, let's read verses 4 to 9, and I'm going to read again the first part, and I want you to read the second part. And I want you to read it to hammer the truth in your heart that the steadfast love of God endures forever. Verse 4, To Him who alone does great wonders, to Him who by understanding made the heavens, to Him who spread out the earth above the waters, to Him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. So, what is the picture being painted here by the psalmist? It's a picture of God's great and awesome creative work, it's his wonderful work of creation. And the psalmist gives us a call to give thanks to the God who alone does great wonders. Who by His understanding, who by His wisdom and His skill made the heavens, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. And why should we thank God in His great and wonderful work of creation? What is the answer? For His steadfast love endures forever. You see, God did not create the world because He was bored. He just did not have anything to do, and so, well, let me try creating a world. Let me try creating the universe. Or God was just lonely. He was lonely, and, and He needed man to complete Himself. He needed creation to, to fill His heart, and so He would be complete. No, God is complete in and of Himself, and God was not bored when He— and that's the reason why He created the world. God created the world because of His steadfast love. He created it to display His extraordinary mercy, generosity, kindness, goodness. He created out of His Hesed. Do you confess and acknowledge that God is your Creator? Do you thank Him— He who displayed His glory in the heavens, do you worship Him? Do you thank Him for creating you, for giving you life? Even today, did you wake up thanking God that He has given you a brand new day and a brand new life? Maybe right now some of you are like, well, I'm not really thankful. I'm not really thankful that God created me and I did not ask for God to create me And pastor, haven't you seen the chaos and the mess and the suffering that is now going on in this world? How can I be thankful to God? And I understand that sentiment. Because after God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2, we have Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we find the fall. And here, sin has entered the world. Death has now entered the world. Suffering, sickness, earthquakes, calamities have now entered the world. And we live in a sinful world, in a cruel and fallen world. And in this world, we are either sinning against someone or someone is sinning against us. And, and I understand. With this cruel world, sometimes it is difficult to thank God. And that's why we need God's deliverance. And so in verses 10 to 16, we find God's deliverance. And once again, I will read the first part. And I want you once again to read the second part. And I want you to say it with conviction and passion because it is so beautiful that God's love endures Forever, Amen? Verse 10 to 16. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness. Here we find the psalmist painting a picture of God as a warrior. God giving deliverance to Israel. And the events here are mostly based in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And the psalmist is giving a call to God's people To give thanks to the God who struck down the firstborn in Egypt, who brought Israel out from among them. And He did it with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He did it with so much might and power. And we give thanks to God who divided the Red Sea in two. What a beautiful and powerful demonstration of God's deliverance, dividing the sea into two. And letting Israel pass through it. But God overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. And we give thanks to God who led his people through the wilderness. And why? Why should we give thanks to God for all these things that he has displayed? What is the answer? For his steadfast love. His, His said endures forever. Now, maybe some of you are asking, what's so special about Israel? Why would God show these signs, wonders, and miracles? Why would God choose Israel? Why are they the chosen nation? The answer is found in Deuteronomy 7, 6-9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and has said steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. God chose them God redeemed them. God delivered them. Not because they were good. Not because they were loyal. God did it simply because of His undeserving, His said love that He poured out lavishly upon Israel. God chose them out of His loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy, love, and compassion. God acted in extraordinary grace in choosing Israel and delivering Israel and delivering them with much power and much love. Exodus 34, 6-7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed and faithfulness, keeping hesed for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And there's a warning here for those who would abuse God's hesed. He who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God is abounding in his said, and He will keep giving out and dispensing His hesed love to His people. And that's why in the Old Testament, the saints who were the Old Testament saints that were in need of help, that were in need of God's deliverance, whenever they were in a trial trial or a difficulty, they would appeal to God, not out of their own goodness and out of their own righteousness. They don't say to God, God, save me because I've been so good. I'm such a good boy this week. God, please save me. Deliver me from this ordeal. No, they don't say that. They don't say, God, I'm good enough. I think I'm good enough already. Bless me. Bless my business. I have been obedient enough. Save me. No, they don't appeal using their goodness. They appeal for deliverance through the said love of God. Psalm 109, verse 21 and 26. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because of your Hesed, because your Hesed is good, deliver me, help me, O Lord my God, save me according to your Hesed love. Not because I've been loving to you, I've been good to you, but according to your Hesed. Have mercy on me, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your hesed love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Numbers 14, 19. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your hesed love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Notice that from creation to deliverance, it's all about God, and it's all about His, His said love. It's not because Israel was loyal, but it's because God is loyal. It's not because Israel was faithful but it's because God is faithful. It's not because Israel was kind, but it's because God is kind. It's not because Israel was good, but it's because God, is good. It's not because Israel was merciful and loving and compassionate but it's because God is good. God is merciful. God is compassionate. God is the focus. God is the center. God is the hero. Not Israel. Not man. And the same is true for us. God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt is just a picture of the more glorious, the most glorious deliverance of all. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you thought that the deliverance that God has displayed in Israel was great, the deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ is far greater. If you thought all those signs, wonders, and and plagues, and dividing of the Red Sea, and all these miracles that God has displayed in Israel was great, that's just a shadow. That's just a picture of the greatest deliverance that God would bring through Jesus. And what is true, brothers and sisters of Israel, is also true of us. The focus is not on us. The focus is on God. God delivered and redeemed us, not because we were loyal, but because God is loyal. Not because we were kind, but because God is kind. Not because we were loving, but because God is loving. It's not because we were merciful. It's not because we were righteous, but it's because God is merciful and God is righteous. It's not because we were compassionate. It's because God is compassionate. It's not because of our love that God has redeemed and saved us, not our devotion to Him. We did not earn His love. We did not earn His salvation for us. It's all about God. It's all about Christ. The center is Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not us. We're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And the reason why God created us and redeemed us is so that we would live for Him and not for ourselves. And so one way that we could live out this thanksgiving and praise to God on a day-to-day basis is to understand that God has redeemed and delivered us for a purpose, a greater purpose than just earning money or just having food on the table. God wants to use our lives for His glory. And I like what John Piper said in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. The Bible says you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are in one of two groups. Either you are a Christian or God is, calling now, God is now calling you to be one. If you are a Christian, you are not your own. Christ has bought you at the price of His own death. Now you belong doubly to God. He made you and He bought you. That means your life is not your own, it is God's. Therefore, the Bible says, glorify God in your body. God made you for this. He bought you for this. This is the meaning of your life. If you're not yet a Christian, that is what Jesus, Jesus Christ offers, doubly belonging to God and being able to do what you were made for. So let me ask you, do you doubly belong to God? Is God your creator and sustainer and owner only? Is He also your redeemer and deliverer? For you to be redeemed, you must turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. Oh, that my desire is that all of us here would be doubly belonging to God. If you have grown cold in your faith, know that you doubly belong to God. God has created you. God has made you. And that's not the only thing that God did in your life. We rebelled against Him. We sinned against Him. And yet God bought us back. God doubly owns you. You doubly belong to Him. Your life is not your own. He has released you from the power of sin through the payment of Christ's death and resurrection. Don't waste your life. Amen? Don't waste God's grace upon your life. Don't waste God's said for you. May we live for God in endless praise and thanksgiving to Him. God created us, and He will deliver those who turn from sin and trust in Jesus. But does God display His, His said love only in deliverance? Does He just deliver us and then abandons us? Brothers and sisters, what God has started, He will continue. And what He will continue, He will complete. And that's what we see here in verses 17 to 22. God's has said love displayed in the conquest. And again, I'll be reading the first part, and you will be reading the second part. So verses 17 to 22 is God's Word. To Him who struck down great kings... And killed mighty kings. Shihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. What is the picture here being painted by the psalmist? He is painting a picture of God's great conquest. And the giving of the promised land as a gift, as a heritage to Israel. And so the psalmist here calls us to give thanks to God who struck down the great kings and killed the mighty kings. Shihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, were mentioned specifically. And Shihon and Og, they were the kings. When Israel defeated them, this was the first taste of victory for the new generation of Israel. And God is also deserving praise and thanks for He gave Israel the land, the promised land as a gift, as a heritage for Israel is His servant. And why should God be praised for His great conquest? I guess you know the answer by now. You should know the answer by now. For His steadfast love endures forever. Out of His kindness, goodness, and mercy, love and compassion, God destroyed the idolatrous kings, and God killed those who rebel against His uh, loving kindness and His greatness and supremacy, and He has given the land to Israel. God gave the promised land, again, not because Israel was good, Israel was stubborn. They could have entered the promised land. When they would believe in God's great power, but they rebelled and they were caught in unbelief. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were stiff-necked people, stubborn, disobedient. But God is good even to those who are stubborn and disobedient. The conquest of Canaan and the defeat of Israel's enemies are but shadows of Christ's great conquest and defeat of death, sin, and Satan. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here, that we are not fighting in order to attain victory. We are not fighting to gain victory. The victory is secured in Christ. Christ has already won. And so we're fighting the good fight of faith, not so that we would be victorious, but we are fighting from victory. We're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. Victory is already secured. In Christ so trust in his victory so that you would not live defeated lives it's just like in a basketball game and team evil is 10 points in the halftime and team Jesus is 1,000 points and that's the halftime score team evil 10 team Jesus 1,000 points when you get to the second half It doesn't matter what Team Evil would do. It doesn't matter if they would shoot a whole lot. It doesn't matter if they would defend well. It doesn't matter if they would change their game plan. It's only a matter of time. When the clock would just go on and go to zero, it's game over. We just have to play through the second half. And Jesus came in His first coming, and He has decisively defeated sin, Satan, and death. Brothers and sisters, we're in the second half. (laughs) Victory is secure. We are fighting not for victory, but from victory. And when Jesus returns, He will complete, He will accomplish and complete His work of redemption it will be game over for evil, for sin, for Satan, and death. God has not called you to be a victim, but to be a victor. So live victoriously for Jesus. So we've seen God's His said love displayed universally, and we've seen it also displayed historically. But will God also display His, His said love in the present? In verses twenty-three to twenty-five, that is what we see. God's has said, "Love displayed presently." It is He who remembered us in our lowly estate, and you would say, "For His steadfast love endures forever," and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever." After reflecting on God's His said love in the past, the psalmist now remembers something that God had done recently, and so he mentions it. And so he calls to give thanks to God, for He has remembered us in our lowly estate and rescued us from our foes. And this is the first time in the psalm that we find the psalmist and the congregation, they included themselves. We find here the inclusion, and we find they would identify now. They have remembered that God had done something recently, that God had rescued them recently, and they gave thanks to God. And so what happened in the past, It encouraged them to trust God in the present, and God showed up in the present, and He showed that indeed He is supreme. And so here we see that what was true in the past is true today. What is true in the past is true today. If you have remembered about what God had done in the past, if if God has remembered you, God has rescued you in the past, He can still do it today because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And why should the Israelites be thankful to God in remembering them in their lowliest state and rescuing them from their foes? Why should we give thanks to God? The answer is, for His steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love is not just for yesterday. It's even available today and even right now. God's steadfast love endures. In verse 25, we go back to God being as the creator of heaven and earth, and He gives food to all flesh. And this shows that God is showing His said even to those who are not part of His covenant people. So there's two types of His said the common His said and the special His said. And in the common hesed, God dispenses his said love commonly to all, to all people, to all flesh. He provides. He allows us to enjoy family, friends, work, and everything. And you don't need to be a believer to enjoy these common hesed love of God. But God is not only showing common said love. He has special hesed love. And mind you, hesed love is primarily a covenant term. So the concept of hesed is tied to the concept of a covenant. And why am I telling you this? It is because only, it is only through the covenant that we have the assurance that God's hesed love will endure forever for us. It will remain permanent to us only through the covenant. And that's why when Isaiah recounts God's hesed, he could not help but praise God in Isaiah 63, 7. And I will recount the hesed of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all the, that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the, to the house of Israel that He has granted them according to His compassion, according to the abundance of His steadfast love. So we see here the prophet Isaiah praising God because of his, His said love, and yet He was in the Old Covenant. We're no longer in the Old Covenant. We are in the New Covenant. We have a better and lasting covenant. And so if Isaiah would praise God in this way, how much more New Covenant believers like you and me. For you to be part of the Old Covenant, you needed basically to be a Jew. But in the New Covenant, all you need is to believe. All you need is to surrender your life wholeheartedly to Jesus. We've talked a great deal on what the word hesed means and its significance. But what is the New Testament equivalent of hesed? Hesed is sometimes translated in the Greek, eleos, which is compassion and mercy. Hesed is also translated as charis or grace, and this is the most um, appropriate and closest equivalent in the New Testament. The closest equivalent of God's hesed is grace. You might have heard people say, you know, I don't like the Old Testament. I don't like the Old Testament God. It's all about wrath. It's all about war and all of these things. I don't like the Old Testament God. I just like the New Testament God. I just like him because it's all about love and not about wrath. People who say that do not know about God's hesed love. They don't understand that the God of the Old Testament is full of hesed. The God of the Old Testament is full of grace. It's not only in the New Testament that grace abounds. The Old Testament is filled with so much grace. And did you not see it? today our god is so gracious to israel and to his church what great has said god has for us what great grace god has for us and how should we respond shouldn't we respond like isaiah or shouldn't we respond in greater thanksgiving and praise knowing that we have uh, a more better a better uh, covenant through jesus christ don't let a single day go by without thanking God for His Hesed love. And when would be a good time to thank God for His Hesed? All the time. Yesterday, I had to bring my son to the emergency room, and um, it, it was his fourth day of fever yesterday and we had his cbc and so we had him checked at the uh, sibo doctors in the emergency room and i was thinking at that time it's not a good time it's not a good time i still have to preach and then after hearing uh, the doctors saying that okay we're just going to observe your son and um, we're going to admit him to the uh, the hospital And we're going to observe if his platelet would be um, stable if it would not go down. So he's suspecting that uh, Z has dengue. And whenever I hear dengue, it just hits me. It's not easy for me to hear the doctor saying, "na suspected dengue. CZ, I almost lost my life because of Dengue, and so I was there in the emergency room and I was just thinking and and praying, and I'm going to preach about giving thanks to God. Lord, this doesn't seem to be a good timing, and sometimes we talk about a, a bad timing and a good timing, we base it on our circumstance. Lord, this is not the good timing. We base it on our circumstance. But if we base our thanksgiving and praise to the sovereignty of God, the supremacy of God, the goodness of God, and His His said love, there is no such thing as a bad timing. And God just works in mysterious ways and sometimes we just don't understand but he remains wise and gracious and loving. It's easy to give thanks to God about his his said love in the good days. It's difficult to give thanks to God when days are not that good. But even in the good days and even in the bad days, his steadfast love endures forever. Many people in our country live in fear and doubt. They doubt their salvation. They doubt God's love. And they don't know if they're saved. They don't know if God loves them. And they don't know if God's grace is powerful enough to save them. And that's why they try to earn God's love. They try to earn their salvation through good deeds. And the hope that they have is they would do enough so that God would save them. They're content if ever they would just stay in purgatory. And they they would hope that family members would visit them yesterday in All Souls Day, not just to clean, not just to repair their tombs, not just to give flowers and even food, but to offer prayers and candles to assist these souls so that they would not stay too long in purgatory but enter paradise. If only our people, if only they would know about God's said love. If they would only know about God's grace in the New Testament. On October 31, 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 thesis at the castle church door and it sparked a mighty reformation for Roman Catholics Martin Luther was a divisive heretic. For us, he was a man used by God to rediscover the rightful place of the Bible as the ultimate authority in church. And that led to the rediscovery that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. What makes the Reformation so powerful? What made it spread like wildfire throughout Europe. People for centuries were living in fear and doubt if God loves them and if God's grace was enough to save them. They were under the unbiblical system of Roman Catholicism. But once the power of God's Word was unleashed, once the power of the gospel was unleashed, people across Europe could lay their heads on their beds at night and could sleep with so much peace because they know God loves me. They no longer have to live in fear and in doubt. They believe God's grace is sufficient to save me. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is enough to pay for my sins. We've seen in Psalm 136 the greatness, the supremacy, and wonder of God's said love. We've seen it displayed universally, historically, and even presently. After understanding said, and how grace is its closest equivalent to the New Testament, kindly turn to Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. And I hope that the reading of this text would just burst our hearts in thanksgiving and praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, We thank you for your has-said love and how you've displayed it universally, historically, presently. It is plain, dear God, that you alone are supreme. You alone are God. And your love alone is great, and wonderful and beautiful and timeless and everlasting. Your love endures forever. And Father, I don't know what your people are going through right now. Whatever difficulty or pain or suffering they're going through right now, and they're having a hard time giving thanks to you, Let it sink in our hearts, dear God, that your steadfast love endures even in the pain, even in the persecution, even in the fire, even in the suffering. Your steadfast love endures forever. Help us not focus on the circumstance help us focus on who you are and what you have already revealed in your word and what's true yesterday is true for us today. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so may we trust you and may we thank you even in this storm. May we praise you and worship you for your steadfast love endures forever. Father, even pray for those who don't personally know your steadfast love. I pray you would work in our hearts. I pray you would work in the hearts of those who still need to repent and believe in the gospel. No matter how many times they've been hearing it's all about the grace of Christ It's all about faith in Christ alone. They are still trusting in their own goodness and their own righteousness to save them, and they think they're not worthy enough and they're not doing enough. Father, captivate them by the greatness, by the glory of your grace, that they would turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone as Lord and Savior. Father, even prepare our hearts as we partake of the tangible elements of your chesed love. In Jesus' name, amen.